Let's turn in our Bibles this morning uh, to 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be looking at verse 13, and we're going to go all the way to chapter 3, verse 7, if you can believe that. I had a hard time believing it, but anyway, uh, I titled this morning's message, Our Conduct and Our Submission. Let's pray. Father, we lift up this time this morning. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would, uh, Lord, fill our hearts. Lord, fill our minds with just that, that knowing, Lord, that you're here in our presence. You're right here in our midst. That your Holy Spirit that lives inside of us wants to, to reveal to us your truth. To give us understanding of your truth. To illum illuminate your truth in our hearts this morning. And Father, that we would submit ourselves to You and submit ourselves to Your Word and submit ourselves to one another. Lord, Your Word, Lord, is life-changing, Lord, as we submit ourselves to it. And Lord, I pray that You would have Your way in us. And we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, uh, I shared last week about our conduct as Christians. How important that is to have the right conduct in this world. The right conduct when we're around people that don't know Christ. We read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter says to the Christians, he, he, he refers to them as his beloved. He says, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, that you abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. People are watching. I don't think I have to let you know that, but people are watching you, especially if you make it known that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If they know that, they're watching, they're observing, and they're going to look at your conduct. And many of them are going to judge what you stand for by how you live. By how you, how you act, how you handle yourself in this world. Most of us, and I think all of us are learning, that since you gave your life to Jesus Christ, that God calls us to a different kind of conduct. Our conduct before we knew Christ was something that probably we wouldn't even want to speak about quite often. But our conduct after Christ should be one that, even to our own self, we have a hard time believing how we've changed and how much we've changed in the work that God has done in my life. Look what He has caused me to be. Look what God is doing in my life. Our conduct, we might say, is the greatest part of our witness to the world. It's so important that we live what we say that we believe. 
But today, I want to not just talk about conduct and further talk about conduct, but I want to talk about submission. And even in that word, submission, I mean, I don't even know that all of us really like the word. There's something about it that kind of a little bit rubs up again, you know, submit, submission. But it's something that we're called to do. God calls us to submission as Christians. We're called first to our conduct, and then we're called to submit. And we're called to do that in a, in a world, an ungodly world. And that's the first part that I want to talk about this morning is our conduct and our submission in the world. I also want to talk about our conduct and our submission in the workplace. And then thirdly, I want to talk about our conduct and our submission in the home. And think about it. With those three things, that's where we spend pretty much all of our time. Out in the world, going to work, in our homes. That's our life as Christians. Our conduct and our submission. As Christians, our relationship, it began, it started with God in, in submitting our lives to Him as Lord. He's my Lord and He's my Savior. He's not just my Savior, but He's my Lord also. I, I have laid my life out before Him and say, Lord, I want You to be the owner, the ruler, the master of my life. That's not something that you did before Christ. But we now have submitted ourselves to Him as Lord. But then we're called to submit ourselves to one another, to each other, and to authorities. And you know, life is really about submitting ourselves in all areas of life. Though as I said, sometimes our flesh wants to resist submission. We find this word submit or submit yourself is really what the Greek word means six times in the New Testament. This word submit yourselves in the Greek is hupotasso. Hupo in Greek means under. And tasso means to arrange. And so submitting yourself is to arrange under to subordinate, to subject, to subject oneself, to submit to one's control, to obey. Submit yourselves. And as I said already, the first thing we do as a Christian is we submit to God and His rule over our lives. Then we submit to others. We submit to one another and to the authorities that God has placed over us. Something that apart from Christ, it's not easy to do. Just look at our world right now. Before you knew Christ, 
Paul says in Romans 8, 7 that the carnal mind or the fleshly mind is at enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. In other words, before you were new Christ, you could care less what the Word of God said about submission and about loving one another. And you know, all the things that were instructed, we were not subject to the things of God, neither indeed could be. We weren't under that rule until you gave your life to Christ. When you gave your life to Christ, you came under the rule of God's Word, His authority over your life. His Word's authority over your life. We first submit to Him as Lord, and then we're called to submit to the authorities that are above us. We're called to submit in relationships between each other. And you see, this is God's design. It was all by design that we learn these things. And it's really how society will work best, isn't it? It's how relationships, whether that's marriage, whether that's family, there is submission, whether that's in the church or outside of the church. Submitting to one another and submission amongst one another is essential within to have a healthy relationship. There's another word that we've heard and probably heard it more quite often or lately is the word anarchy. The word anarchy is, by definition, a state of disorder due to absence of non-recognition of authority. <laughs> There's no authority over me. You're not given, putting any authority upon me. That's the world that we're looking at around us here in the United States right now. Some of the synonyms of anarchy are these. Lawlessness. Absence of government. Revolution. Insurrection. Riot. Rebellion. Mutiny. Disorder. Misrule. Chaos. Tumult. Mayhem, pandemonium. Those are all words that describe anarchy. Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines it this way. It's an absence of government. A state of lawlessness or political disorder due to the absence of governmental authority, the city's descent into anarchy. That's anarchy within society. But what we read in our Bible, that's not what the Christian is called to do. You see why we could stand out even the more so in a world that is going the direction that it's going? If you make a stand for Christ? What a message for 2021. I mean, look at our world. And not just the United States, but look at our world. Look at the state that our world is in. Anarchy. 
in many places. Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.21, he says this, he says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Submission. Something that needs to be clarified quite often. People have misused it and abused it even within the church and in relationships. Colossians 3.17, Paul wrote this, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And then he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. The balance, the order, the design, how God says that it works best is what we are called as Christians to follow. James 4.7 says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then looking ahead in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, Peter writes, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The Bible actually speaks a lot about submission and about submitting to one another at all different levels of life. We also have the word submissive in Scripture. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14.34, he says, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as the law also says. I'm bringing up things for a lot of people. These are hot topics. I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot of churches that, one, won't abide by that, but they don't believe it and believe it's saying something else. And, they want, and, and then it, it creates this kind of, you know, people have their, their various opinions. Submission, it does that. I, I, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to tell me that I can't do this within the church. As the law also says, Paul writes. You see, it all has to do with God's order. It all has to do with God's design. It's having headship in the marriage and in the church that's part of God's design. This was something that God established even before the fall. When man, when Adam and Eve fell into sin, even before the fall, he designed headship and order within the marriage between a husband and wife. He had a rule in the relationship of the husband and the wife. That if you follow this rule, this design, it works best. 
I think those of us that are married, we, we're, we're coming to learn this. That there's a rule, that there is a headship, that if we follow God's plan, it's beautiful. It's not perfect, but it's beautiful. And it works. Just like Christ is the head of the church, and we come under His headship, God has put in place an order for the church and also for the home, for the family, for a husband and wife. Parents to their children. God established an order and designed back in Genesis 2.18 where we read, And the Lord God said it is good, it is not good, excuse me, that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to himself. And then in Genesis 2.22, we read, Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, He made it into a woman, and He brought her to the man. God establishing a particular order. Back in uh, Corinthians 14.31, But the woman are to be submissive as the law also says. And Paul may have been thinking of Genesis 3.16 where it tells us to the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. This is speaking of the curse that came after the fall. And then it also says this of that curse, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Hmm. In those words don't sound appealing in a lot of ways. But God has a design and God has an order in which it works beautifully when both parties understand God's order. Let me give a little warning here to the husbands. Don't mess it up. Don't mess it up, husbands. And there are husbands and there are Christian husbands that have messed it up. They didn't get it right. Doesn't the Bible say you're supposed to be submissive? Submissive to me? And they, they, they want to take an authority that has been given to them by God and misuse it. Use it for their own self. Don't mess it up, is my exhortation to us as husbands. In Hebrews 13, 17, we read, Obey those who rule over you, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. We know that being submissive in all walks of life, it actually brings forth something good. It's not a negative thing. It's actually a good thing when we understand it in the light of a God that is a God of love, a God of respect, 
a God that doesn't look at one person, one sex above the other, uh, that he sees us equally, co-equally, working together, but then he has this order that he says, if you follow my plan, it'll work beautiful. Just follow it. In 1 Timothy 2.11, Timothy says this, or Paul says, excuse me, to Timothy, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Another time. Women are, uh, they're, they're never called to submit to anything. Women are never called to be violated through their submission. They're never to violate their conscience or their will. They, they don't submit themselves even to their husbands if it means violating the Lord, violating their conscience. Paul gave Timothy also qualifications for elders. Timothy, when you choose an elder to minister in the church, here's one of the qualifications that you must see, that you need to see in these elders. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. There's that word submission again within the home, within the family. So let's look first at our conduct in our submission in the world. In chapter 2, verse uh, 13. Let's read first, though, and we've already read it, but let's read first again, verse 11 and 12, so that we keep the context of what Peter is about to say. He says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. And then you see the word, therefore. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And I would say this, this would be a good time if you writing with something in your Bibles and it's a good thing to do, underline for the Lord's sake, highlight it, do whatever, but it's for the Lord's sake. Whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Submitting yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. That's why we do it. You see, everything that we do as Christians should be for the Lord's sake, for His glory. Why I don't do something for His glory. Why I do do something for His glory. It's for the Lord's sake. That as Christians, that we learn and we want to be these witnesses and these examples to the world of what a Christian should behave like, what their conduct should be like, that it should be different. 
whether to a king as supreme or to governors. You see, it's all about conduct. It's about our witness. But it's also about our protection. God wants to protect us. He has His hand upon us. And He even uses earthly vessels to do that. The most important words there is for the Lord's sake. As Peter, and this is important to note, as Peter was writing this letter, the Roman emperor Nero was supreme. Nero. Uh, Nero, by the way, was not a nice guy. He's not somebody you probably would have wanted to hang out with. But this, here's Peter. He's writing in this atmosphere, in this time frame, under an emperor by the name of Nero. The one who would eventually martyr Peter. Martyr Paul probably kill a lot of other Christians. We may not like the current political administration that we have. I won't have a raise of hands with that. But we probably are not happy with a lot of things. I find it a struggle more and more to turn on the news because I get a little bit irritated by what I'm seeing going on in our world. But we're all called, whether we like them or not, to pray. That's our, that should be the Christian stance when it comes to our government and those that are at places of authority. But we're also to be thankful to God that we have a government. Because if we didn't have any government at all, any governing authorities at all, then we'd have mayhem. We'd have people just doing whatever. We'd have, you know, you know. And then you have the people that want to say, we want to defund the police. Why? They're there for our protection. But I don't like that. I don't like that. That's anarchy. Those are people who say, you know what? We don't need that. We can do it ourselves. I beg to differ. I don't think so. We're seeing it. We need to pray. We need to pray for those that are in authority and the places of position. Peter's writing. This is being said to those that were living under Nero. Living in regimes as we heard from Pastor Kyle, uh, uh, Christians living in regimes that are more brutal than what we're living in. And they're called to pray. How do you pray for the, 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 the leader of China? How do you pray for the leader of North Korea or Iran? How do you pray for those kinds of leadership? But even in that, there is an element of protection that comes upon the people. If they were just wide open with none of that, 
And people left to themselves. You see, God's design and plan is that He doesn't have perfect people in those positions, but it's to your benefit that they are. Peter says, we submit ourselves for the Lord's sake. God has given to them the rightful authority. God has allowed them to be in the position that they're in. Who's the one that raises up kings and puts them down? It's our Lord. Who are the people that vote them into place? It's us. And we stand accountable with that, and God allows even that. So how far are we called to submit ourselves to the authorities? Big question in the day and age we're living here in America right now, isn't it? We never see, though, in Scripture, we never see Jesus, we never see the apostles or the church rising up in opposition to the governing authorities. They were taking the gospel out to the world. They were focused on being a pilgrim passing through. We have a job to do and a, and a purpose of why we're here in an ungodly world, in an ungodly authorities that are out there, kings that are wicked. But we have a purpose and a plan from God of why we're here. But we do see Peter and John in Acts 4.19 when they were talking to those religious leaders. They, they said this to them. It says, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. You see, ultimately, our allegiance is always to God. It's always to the Word of God. If the authorities tell us to do something that is contrary to God's will for us, then we ought to obey God rather than man. Simple. But if it doesn't violate our Christian faith, our conscience, it doesn't violate us, then we should submit to the authorities that God has put in place. Got a lot of laws out there. We don't like all the laws. We don't like a lot of the laws. But if those laws conflict with our conscience and our faith and the Word of God, we don't submit to them. There's a whole lot of mandates out there right now, aren't there? <laughs> mandates. Here's the new updated mandates for the church and you know, meeting together, not meeting together, we'll let you have this and that, and you know, and even within the church, there's confusion. Even amongst Christians. What should we do? You know, we need to submit. And then others are saying, I'm not submitting to that. That violates the word of God. And we have all this confusion that, that comes in how we should conduct ourselves and how we should submit ourselves in light of the current situations. I believe as Christians that we 
look at these things and we make decisions for ourselves, we make decisions for the church, hopefully prayerfully and looking for God's wisdom uh, based upon what God has already told us. If God has told us that we are to gather together as believers, then in the long term, in the long run, I don't believe that if the government came and told us, you know what, (laughs) for the safety of all Americans, we're basically going to shut down the gathering of churches. I'd say, no, because God has called me to gather together with believers. If they said, you know, we want you to, to, to do this for a period of time, well, we can make that decision. And we did that as a church. We, we didn't meet for a while, and we did it on, you know, we, and we were, we were wanting to, for the situation to help. If the government came and said, you know what, uh, in, the, in the current environment that we're in here in America, you Christians going out and sharing the gospel and, to, and, 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 and telling people about Christ, you know, there's a danger there of inciting people in a negative way. And we ask that you do not do that, or we command, or we demand that you do not do that in public. You think it'll ever get to that? I'll guarantee you that it will, unless the Lord comes back before that. When I was in the UK, it was already at that point, and we'd been home from the UK for quite a while. They had already were instituting that law, that you can't go out onto the street and verbally uh, uh, talk to people about the Lord because there was that danger of you stirring something up. Don't think that we're in a, a nation right now, one nation under God, that just lets Christians under their Christian, our Christian freedoms are declining quickly. I don't want to get too far off. Now I've gotten away from my notes. But the church in the first century, they saw and they witnessed in their time these Jewish zealots. They were called zealots. And they, in a sense, they were a a political movement of the day. And they refused to yield to Rome and its authorities over their life. They refused to pay taxes. Instead, they would incite. And they they would fight against the Roman authorities. You see, that's not what Christians are called to do. There's some Christians and some they vacillate on knowing what we should do, and some of them find themselves kind of like zealots, I think, out there, trying to make a stand for God. And it's really not what God wants them to do. You see, our battle is not and will never be with flesh. It's not with flesh and blood. Paul said so in Ephesians 6.12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. You see, that's where the battle is won. It's won in prayer. It says going to our knees in prayer for these things. It's why we're going to go to this abortion clinic 
and enter in in his intercessory prayer for these women for that clinic. God, would you shut that clinic down? Would you bring a change in this law concerning abortion? Lord, would you touch these women that are in there now and change their mind in the moment? And there has been that kind of fruit that has come out of those that have entered into this prayer for these babies. Peter, he's telling us that we should submit ourselves to the governing authorities because it's part of God's way of punishing evildoers. And it's also God's way of providing protection for us from evildoers. Verse 14, as to those who are sent by God for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. He says, for the praise of those who do good. You see, as Christians, we should be the best. We should be the the best law-abiding citizens that there are in the United States. That should be our that should be how we represent our Lord in, in a nation that we see all this stuff going on around us. How are you reacting to it? Are you getting out there like the rest of them? You know, let's let's get out there on the streets, you know, let's let's protest. Let's, you know, let's let, we're gonna stop this. There's an element of church thinks that we're gonna take this all back some way. For the praise of those who do good. Look what Peter says in 3.13. He says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? You see, you can go out and you can be a person that is shining like a light not doing something in a weird way as a Christian out in public and out around people. You know what? People see something good in you. They'll see you extending the love of Christ and the patience of Christ. And you're not out there just trying to hammer on the police and doing all that. We're the church. And for the praise of those who would do good. But... Then you have chapter 3, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Suffering for righteousness' sake. Suffering for those things that are right as a Christian. If we stand up for the things that are right and true, you might experience and probably will experience persecution for what you stand up for. And we should stand up for those things that are right. We shouldn't just retreat from those things, but we should make a stand. It's what we're going to do when we go to the abortion clinic. But we're going to do it in the name of the Lord and we're going to do it with the love of Christ and we're going to do it in prayer and we're going to enter into the battlefield in prayer and in praise. 
Paul makes it very clear in Romans chapter 13 over this whole issue of authority and governments. In chapter 13, verse 1, Paul says this, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Asking a question. Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. We should love our police officers. There's good and bad, no doubt. But we should love the authority of the police officers that God has placed in that place for our protection, for our good. Therefore, we must, you must, be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, because of this, you also pay taxes. Hey, okay, we're paying taxes to pay the police and to, to, to pay the local authorities to, to make it better living for us here. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all of their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Paul made it very clear why we do this and and that we should come alongside those people that are there for even our own protection and praying for those that are in those places of protection over us. It's real easy to get caught up and all the talk and all the things that people, you know, they say, but, you know, as Christians, we see things differently. It's God's will, I believe, that every Christian would be recognized for their excellence. How we handle ourselves is what I'm talking about. That we would be known as Christians for how we handle ourselves out in the public arena. That we are respectful people. That we're submissive, we're respectful, we're submissive even to those that are in authority. The authorities that that are in charge, people that are in charge. People that God has placed in charge. You see, it's our testimony, it's our witness that we would submit ourselves to them. Even to the harsh. Oh, there, now you're pushing it. Even to the harsh. Even to the, the ones that we might say are disrespectful authorities. 
We'd have rights. You know, you, 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 can't, you can't do that to me. And we, we scream for those rights. But Jesus gave up His rights. He submitted Himself to the will of the Father. As we're called to submit ourselves to Him. Even the harsh and the disrespectful authorities. Quite a calling upon our lives as Christians. Called to a different level than what we see. Just turn on the news and watch the news, what's going on around. As people are disrespecting those in authority at all levels. Unwilling to submit. It's another issue to talk about guns. I won't go there, but it's going to be a whole issue coming up, isn't it? We have a constitution. We have laws. I'm not going to go there. But it probably will at some point. Verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Peter goes on, he says, honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And honor the king. Peter says, as bondservants, you're all bondservants, servants by choice. Servants, bond servants to God by choice. Slaves to God is another way I could put it. Slaves by His choice, by our choice, for His namesake. That we're called to honor all people. And notice that each one of these four things that Peter says here, they all have a period. They all kind of stand on their own. Look what it says. Honor all people. Period. Love the brotherhood. Period. Fear God. Period. And honor the king. Period. You see, by doing good, you might put to silence, you might, in other words, you might muzzle. You know what a muzzle is on a dog? You might muzzle or you might stop the mouths of foolish men by doing good. Have you ever seen that happen in operation? Doing something good when evil's happening? And how it can, it can kind of stop that in the moment? In verse 17, Peter sums it all up with those four sentences. Honor in all people. According to whatever honor is due, in each case, honor them. Love the brotherhood. In other words, habitually love the brethren, but do it in sincere love. It's one thing just to say that we love people, and you know, hey, we're Christians, we love. But to do it in sincerity of heart. 
to love the brotherhood, to fear God. God, in the highest sense, is the one to be feared, isn't he? We're to fear God more than man. We're to care more about what God thinks than what man thinks. We're to honor the king. And the, and the king here is these earthly kings are even were called to be honored. But as we honor them and respect them for the office in which they hold, we also do it in our fear of God. Because our God reigns above all kings, above all authorities. Above, and so in our fear of God, we honor the king. God needs to give us that enabling grace at times, doesn't He? Don't we need it? You know what enabling grace is? In other words, God, in myself, I have a hard time submitting to all this. I'm struggling with this. God, would you give me that enabling grace that I might submit to those things that don't violate my conscience, your word, or, you know, but Lord, that I would just come alongside and pray. Paul in prison under wicked Nero. He's imprisoned for his faith. In 1 Timothy 2, 1, he says, Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers and intercession and giving of thanks be made for all men. He says, For kings and all who are in authority that they may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Here's Paul under Nero. Here's Paul just shortly going to be beheaded for his faith. He's not in good conditions. And he's telling the, uh, Timothy, he says, Timothy, we need to pray. We need to give thanks. We need to make supplications and intercession for those kings, for those that are in authority. That we would lead, and this is why, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. In other words, you know what? All of this is for the advancement of God's kingdom. Ultimately, if you want to boil it all down, we live in an ungodly, fallen, forsaken world. But this world needs Christ. And ultimately, our goal is that we would lead people to Christ. And then the Lord comes back. And so, to get caught up, into all the things that would take us off course, into to rallying against all the things that are, you know, we need to pray that we meet, remain free as a nation, even that we could be a, an instrument that God could use to take the gospel to this world. There's so many repressive regimes out there, the Christians don't even have an opportunity to get too far out, but they still strive to please their king. Strive to be that witness. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's why. That's why we will pray. That's why we will make intercessions. That's why we are thanking God for those that 
You see, that's the higher purpose. That's really what it's all about. But we also need to remember, in light of the world that we're living in, that God is in charge of the kings of the earth. Proverbs 21, verse 1, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever He wishes. God's in control of the kings. He raises them up and He puts them down. And and we see that. We read it in our Bibles how God did that. He used these kings and even wicked regimes for His own purposes. And then He says, and now it's time to put them down. Who's in control? Who's in control of our administration here now? You know, Trump's not the Savior. We're not looking to Him as the Savior of America. Only God is. Some people, I think, think He is. We also read in Psalm 20, verse 7, you'll know this one, some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. It's all about perspective. It's all about what you put your trust in. It's, you know, if, you, if you put your trust in man and you put your trust in government, you put your trust in all the, the, the things that they're going to try and sort this stuff out. Oh, guy, we messed up. Boy, we got the wrong people in there now. And who's in control? We have a battle that's in front of us. But we're to submit as long as it doesn't cause us to violate our convictions before our God. We're to pray for those that are ruling over us. Our conduct and submission in the workplace. How many of you go outside of the home right now to work? Raise your hand. Okay. Servants. Household servants. Be submissive to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good, here it is again, not only to the good and the gentle ones, I'll add that, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, For what credit is it if when you were beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. I want you to think of the the slave and the the master and the relationship and, and how that worked together. And the submissiveness that was in that relationship to your master. We call it the workplace. The command to submit to masters. And it's, it isn't just for those who work for masters that are good and gentle. Oh, I got the best boss. Or I've got one that, you know, one of two places. 
but also to those who are harsh. A lot of employers out there that are harsh. A lot of management. Harsh in the way that they deal with their employees. I've got rights. You can't treat me that way. You can't do it, you know what I mean? And, and again, it comes down to our being able to submit to those people that we even work for. God gave me a job there. I earned my living there. And yet I'm called to submit to things that, man, this isn't right. It's hard. But it's a, a hardship that as Christians we're called to endure. Kyle brought up in what he was sharing today in Iran there about the Christians that couldn't work. And he said something to the effect that life is over. And I would a little bit say that life wasn't over for them. Actually, life was just beginning when they gave their life to Christ. You see, you can pull all the money away, you can pull the job away, and God's still going to take care of you. You see, Jesus nor Paul nor Peter ever told the church or fellow Christians to run from their masters. But he tells them to be submissive, to be reverent towards them. And not just to the good and the gentle, but to the harsh. Jesus told His disciples in Matthew 5.11, He says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. They say all kinds of evil against you falsely. Here it is again, for My sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Great is your reward in heaven. Give a great testimony of our Lord and how you handle yourself even in the workplace. What testimony are you before the fellow employee, uh, other fellow employees? Why is it, and I remember working on an order desk of, I won't even say this, 20 women. I did say it. 20 women. That doesn't, that doesn't make the difference. I was one guy with 20 women on an order desk. And I heard a lot going on all every day. A lot being said. A lot about the company. A lot of things. And I remember them asking, why don't you ever complain about it? You know, Not that I was a super, but why don't you always get with us in the mix? Why aren't you saying anything? And I had to give the testimony to the Lord. Give the credit to the Lord. You see, talking about our employer behind their back and grumbling about them and speaking badly about them with co-workers and, and, and just, I'm not submitting to all this and, and not doing it in reverence and fear of God. That's not what we're called to do as Christians. We're called to be a witness before the, the ones that we work around and more importantly, before God Himself. And I wrote this, I wrote, as Christians, we should be the best employees the company has. Not just in the quality of the work we do, 
but in the attitude in which we do it is what makes the difference. There's a lot of non-believers that work hard. And they do a, a good job. But Christians in their attitude should make the difference. Should set the bar. Should be the example for, that others would follow. If we just had more like you. Not to our glory, but to His glory. Thank you. You've made this company stronger by your attitude, even in a company that's having some real struggles. Peter now gives Christ as the example that we should follow in suffering that leads to glory. And by the way, this is meant to encourage you. What we're about to read, it's, it's meant to encourage you and it's meant to give you hope. Look what it says in verse 21. For to this you were called. In light of what we just read, for to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us or leaving us behind and ascending to the Father. He left us an example. In other words, that word example there means literally a written copy. He, Jesus Christ is our written copy. He's our example that we could read, that we could follow. That you should follow in His steps. That you would stay close to Him. Follow His patience. Follow His endurance in the suffering that He experienced. This spans all walks of life. Not just at work, but when we're out in the world. When we're suffering for Christ. Christ left us this example of how suffering will lead to glory. And do we believe that? Verse 22, who committed no sin, Jesus didn't, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Peter is quoting from Isaiah 53, verse 9. Who, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Our Lord didn't do that. And he could have, but he didn't. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Not a single time did he threaten those that were persecuting and coming up against him. When he suffered, there even on the cross, he didn't retaliate. He didn't hold on to his rights and say, I have the rights to retaliate. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Is that what you do? To commit the situation to the one who judges righteously? Oh, God will handle it. Someday, in light of all, God's going to handle it. God, I'll let God do that. Instead of holding on to my rights and saying, I've got to deal with this. Verse 24, 
who Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree. He was that sacrificial Lamb. That we having died to sins by His death, that we might live for righteousness. He's given us the victory, Christians. Read it in your Bibles. Romans chapter 6. You also were dead to sin because He died on the cross. You also were dead to your sin. You can have victory over sin as you look to the Lord to deliver you from sin. That we might live for righteousness by by whose stripes you were healed. Isaiah 53 verse 5. Peter knew his Bible. He just he just he he knows he's he's getting this picture of Christ suffering and ultimately his suffering leading to glory. And he says, you know what? If you have that same mindset in the things that you experience in life, that your suffering will also lead to glory. It'll help you, Christians. Let it encourage you. He suffered in the same way in greater ways than you probably will ever suffer. And ultimately, He went into glory. Sarah. I was going to do something, but I'm going to back up here. 1 Peter 3, verse 1. I'm just going to read it because we're about out of time here. I'm going to read it and, and make a few comments. Our conduct and our submission at home. Peter says, wives, likewise. Likewise because of what we just read before that about servants. Wives, likewise, in the like manner. In other words, like servants. Or for the same reason, be submissive to your own husbands. That even if some do not obey the word, that's a way of saying that they're not a believer, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Do you see that? Do you see how God can work within that? Even if you've, or somebody has entered into a marriage relationship with a non-believer or one gets saved after their, you know, and God has a calling upon that person to remain in that marriage. Even for those that, that person that doesn't know Christ, that they would be won over by the one that does. And here he's saying that they may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chase, that word chase there means peer, when they observe your, your peer and spotless conduct because of the work that God is doing in your life, when they see that in you, accompanied by fear and that reverential fear that you have towards your husband, and even a husband that doesn't know the Lord, and maybe a husband that doesn't always operate in the ways that you would like to see, do not, Peter says, let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. In other words, don't use a different kind of a substitute to get this done. Don't let all the outward appearance 
your apparel, the way you, you dress, the outward, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Let that be seen in your, by your husband, which is a precious, very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves. Nothing wrong with looking nice and dressing well, but don't let that become the thing that you think is going to win anything over in the heart of your husband. Let it be the inward. Being, look what he says, being submissive to their own husbands. We might call this the portrait of a godly wife. Just as Sarah obeyed. She was this example of faith. And, and just like she obeyed, and she obeyed Abraham. She called him Lord. She had this respect for Abraham, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror or any amazement would be the word. You see, we are living in days where God's design for the home, God's design for marriage, is being rejected. Oh, we don't even need to get married. Who needs that? And different kinds of marriages coming together. It's confused. There's a whole bunch of different things that are, that are going on, and, it, and, and I will only tell you it's getting worse. It, 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 it's, it's getting worse. And being submissive to your own husband, that's not popular. A lot has to do with the understanding of what that means and the misunderstanding that could bring Somebody to say, I don't like that. I don't think that's right. Or the husbands that have misused that. But when it's done in the right way, we know that the wife, to honor God, will joyfully serve her husband in submission. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. She was given this promise of a child and she laughed within herself saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, speaking of Abraham, being old also? And then we close with verse 7. Husbands, likewise. It's important, likewise. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. In other words, husbands, I'm one of them, by the way, dwell with them with understanding, with knowledge. Have an understanding or a knowledge of your wife and why she ticks the way she ticks. 
have an understanding of how the marriage relationship under God's design works. If you don't have a knowledge of that and you don't have an understanding of that and you're trying to work through all these things in your own ingenuity and flesh, you're going to have some problems. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. The only place in Scripture where we read directly to the husbands, and it doesn't say to the wives, but it says to the husbands that your prayers will be hindered. If you feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling and going no further than that, it might be good to take inventory of how well I'm doing with my spouse. Oh, things are a mess at home right now. You know, we're not, we're not doing good at all. And I'm not even really treating her in the way that God has called me to treat her. But boy, I'm a prayer warrior. Boy, I, you know, I'm praying, you know. And they're, you know, they're just bouncing off the roof. Or, you know, that they'd be hindered. Just better off to save your time. Get that right first and then start to pray. Because you're just wasting your time. That your prayers would not be hindered. She's the weaker vessel. God's design. God wants us to, as husbands, to nurture our wives as to the weaker vessel. And it doesn't mean weaker in the sense of their abilities. I'll tell you what, when, without, without the two of you working together at the same, we need it. We need each other. I, I need you, honey. I need it. We need each other. If I asked Kathy, are you the weaker vessel? She'd say, yeah. Oh, don't say that to me. I'm not the weaker vessel. And I'd say, no, I'm not weaker. You know, that that whole thing today, you know, weaker vessel, weaker. No, we're all the same. Not by God's design. But we're heirs together of the grace of life. Do we see our wives as a gift? Talking to the husbands here. If you're not married, that day may come. But if you are husbands, do you see your wife as a gift from God? Do you treat her well and do you love her like Christ loved the church? When we talk about a calling, I'd rather give that one maybe over to my wife than to, you know, wives be submissive to your husbands. I can do that. He's loving me like Christ loved the church and it's so easy for me to do that. To love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wow. What a responsibility we have as husbands. Look what He's called us to do. You know, when you present her before the Lord someday, men, husbands, you know, you're, you're, you're either going to be, she's going to be walking alongside you all healthy looking, doing well, or you're going to be just kind of carrying her, carrying her in and dragging her in there because she's not doing very well. 
You know, you didn't do very well with the gift that was given to you. We have a great responsibility as Christians in our conduct and our submission to one another at all levels of life. And God gets the glory in all of it. If we follow God's model and plan and design, it all works beautiful, even in an ungodly fallen world. And restoration of marriage and restoration at work can happen. If we just get this right, get this right and get this right, things can change and God can help us.